Justin Shears and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. I need a fix cause I'm going down Back to the bits that I left up Town. I need a fix as I'm going down Mother Superior jumped the gun Mother Superior jumped the gun Yoko, oh no, no Yoko, oh no, yeah a fix cause I'm going down back to the bits that I left uptown I need a fix cause I'm going down Mother Superior jumped with the gun Mother Superior jumped with the gun Mother Superior jumped with the gun Mother Superior jumped 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 the gun Mother Superior As any songwriter could tell you, not every idea put down on paper magically turns into a masterpiece. While the Beatles had many ideas for songs and many successful compositions, there would always be those times where, try as they might, the ideas would dry up. This could happen at any time, perhaps even halfway through writing a song. What seemed like a great intro or a killer chorus just could not be finished to their own satisfaction and would be left on the scrap of paper it was written on or a snippet of composing tape. John's next contribution to the White Album sessions was a collection of several such fragments. Anyway, Happiness is a Warm Gun, as I said many, many times, was from the cover of a gun magazine which George Martin had in the studio when we were making a double album. And uh, it had Happiness is a Warm Gun on, on the cover. And on the cover it had a picture of a gun that had just been shot with smoking, you know. Yeah. And I thought, how incredible the fact that Happiness is a, thing, a, a warm gun that's just shot something yeah. or somebody. And that's why I wrote the song. The first half of this goes, She's not a girl who misses much, was something I was writing vaguely connected with the Yoko. It was just when I was first meeting her. And these are all different segments of songs. And I just wove them all together, different songs. Stuck them all in one piece and made like a little miniature uh, collage, was, yeah. you know, like instead of an album collage, like Pepper, this was all done in the one song. And it went through the different styles of rock and it also was about a gun, not about heroin or anything. And in those days I had no idea about heroin, I'd not, never seen it, nor no. knew anybody that had ever touched naive. it or taken it. Mm. Mother Superior was you. She was uh, rabbiting on in the car one day, <laughs> as is her wont. And I was saying, oh, Mother Superior jumped the gun again, because she's always one jump ahead. So that was about, that was Yoko, really, that little section. And they're all separate songs, I was telling you that. And it was camp, you know, that bit at the end. Shoot, shoot, bang, bang, and all that. was in, like uh, the guy was saying, it's like, instead of shoop, shoop, doa, doa. The fact that it was about a gun, we said shoot, shoot, and bang, bang instead. Mm. And we were cracking up when, we was, when I was doing all that. Now, when I hold you in my arms, all that bit. The idea of the happiness of the warm gun thing is from an advert in an American paper. Um, where it said, you know, happiness is a warm gun thing, and it was sort of get ready for the long hot summer with a rifle, you know, come and buy them now. It was an advert in a gun magazine, you know, and it was so sick, you know, the, the idea of uh, 
come and buy your killing weapons and come and get it. And it was just a, such a great line that happens with one gun that uh, John sort of took that and and uses that as a chorus. Yeah. And the rest of the words, I think the great words, you know, it's a poem. It's a poem and it finishes off happiness as a warm gun. Yes, it is. Uh, so, in fact, he's probably fairly serious about... Uh, well, it's as serious as, as anyone ever gets, you know, right? It's not deadly serious. It's just, it's, it's just words. And if you sort of really taxed him on it and said, you know, um, would you be willing to die for these words? I'm sure he wouldn't. I'm sure it's not really serious. But, the, you know, the good words... I'd stick up for anyone sort of uh, worried about him, you know. They're, they're just, it's just good poetry. Right up, two, three, four. She's not a girl who misses much. Do -do 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 -do. Oh, yeah. Well, I played it with the touch of the velvet hand like a lizard on a window pane. Man in the crowd with the multicolored mirrors on his hobnail boots. Lying with his eyes while his hands are busy working overtime. Soap impression of his wife, which he ate and Anybody finding it easier? It seems a little yeah. easier. Yeah. It's just not no fun, but it's easier. Easier and fun. Oh, all right, if you insist. From the 23rd of September 1968, take 19 of what was called, at this stage, Happiness is a Warm Gun in Your Hand. The title would eventually lose the last three-word phrase as sessions wore on. This evening saw two eight-track reels of tape filled with 45 takes of the basic track, none of which were deemed as acceptable. A further seven hours the next day were devoted to perfecting the backing track, taking the song to take 70. Still, the Beatles felt there wasn't a single take which ticked all of the boxes. So, the first half of take 53 was edited together with the second half of take 65, and called take 65. On the third day of sessions, Paul re-recorded his bass part, while an unidentified musician added a tuba part during the I Need a Fix section of the song. The next overdub was an interesting one. Paul on Hammond organ, George on lead guitar, Ringo on hi-hats, and someone else on a tambourine, and John on piano, all squeezed onto one track of the eight-track tape. Jeez. 
With the addition of lead and backing vocals, the song was now complete, a relatively straightforward and linear recording by the Beatles' standards of this time. Mixing took place on the 26th of September, with the song's working title now reduced to its final form. Of course, as was the case with many Beatles songs from Sgt. Pepper onwards, the expert texperts were again out in force, reading into the lyrics things that clearly weren't there, including supposed references to heroin. Oh, this is a great one. <laughs> they never play this. Happiness is a warm gun. Oh, I love it. I love this one too. Thank you, Tim Lowe. I remember the day that uh, he was making it, you know, this is when uh, uh, we were in, yeah, in Kenwood. In the United. No, you were making this song in Kenwood. Oh, yeah. Just a bit I like. Yeah. They said this was about drugs and it wasn't, you know. I was positive it was about drugs. This was the one that I was convinced was about drugs. Her finger on your trigger. Nobody believes me about that. Or no, I didn't even notice it, you know, and then later... Oh, that was the one that everybody said was the yeah, most clear. It was like there was just no doubt this was a drug song. This is camp, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know. No? Didn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is a really good one. I, like I thought this song covered the whole gamut of rock and roll in a way through different phases. You know? It was a miniature collage. It was a collage. Hello, George. And speaking of dodgy lyrical interpretations. <laughs> I told you about strawberry fields You know the place where nothing is real Well here's another place you can go Mono Remix 2 of Glass Onion, also mixed on the 26th of September 1968, complete with an additional four-track sound effect tape, made by John, comprising of a ringing telephone on track 1, a single Mellotron note on track 2, BBC football commentator Kenneth Wollstenholme on track 3, and the sound of glass breaking on track 4. Of course, none of these were kept in the final version of the song, but this mix reveals a few other vocal variations and notes not heard in subsequent mixes. Mm -hmm. 
money fine My position is tragic Come and show me the magic Of your Hollywood song Now honey pie You were driving me frantic Sail across the Atlantic To be where you belong You became a legend Of the silver screen Now you're To be where you belong Of your Hollywood song Isha home demo of Honey Pie, recorded in May 1968. Probably the most musically diverse of the four Beatles, Paul always had a soft spot for the stylings of yesteryear, perhaps a direct influence of the kinds of music his father Jim used to play with his band when Paul was just a child. Harking back to a 1920s feel, both lyrically and melodically, Honey Pie would be the next cab off the rank for the new album. The new month of October saw the Beatles decide on a change of scenery, heading back to Trident Studios for a week to work on the next batch of songs. My dad's always sort of played uh, fruity old songs like that. And I like them. I like the melody of old songs. And the lyrics actually, as well, you know, there's, I mean, there's some old lyrics like, you know, sort of a woman singing about a man and she's saying, uh, uh, something about I want to have his initial on my monogram. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just good, good lyrics and just good thoughts that you don't sort of hear so much these days, you know? And so, um, I, I would like, quite like to have been sort of a 1920s writer, you know, because I, I, I like that thing, you know, um, you know, the top hat and tails and sort of mm-hmm. coming on to so this kind of number. I like that thing. But, uh, so this is just me doing it, pretending I'm living in 1925.
started on the 1st of October 1968, take one of Honey Pie, which would have, of course, been preceded by numerous rehearsals. The basic track featured Paul on piano, Ringo on brush drums, John on guitar and George on bass. The next day, Paul's vocals were added, as well as John's jazzy guitar solo and some cymbal crashes, most likely added by Paul, for that authentic 20s feel. The 4th of October saw the woodwind and horn section, conducted by George Martin, added to the master take, conjuring the big band goodness associated with this era. She was a working girl, north of England way. Now she's hit the big time In the USA And if she could only hear me This is what I'd say I'm in love but I'm lazy So won't you please come home Oh honey pie My position is tragic Come and show me the magic Of your Hollywood song You became a legend Of the silver screen And now the thought of meeting you makes me weak in the knee Oh, honey pie, you are driving me frantic Sail across the Atlantic to be where you belong Honey pie, come back to me Consciously at the time thinking, I'm going to evoke the spirit of Harold Arlen or Irving Berlin or Cole Porter here, then? No. I mean, actually, once or twice with something like Honey Pie, uh, a Beatles song, that is really Honey Pie. That is more of a pastiche. That is a pastiche, yeah. Cornish pastiche. Oh, no. (laughs) Of course, this bygone genre was one that Paul would unashamedly return to throughout his time with Wings and his solo career. While at Trident Studios, Paul introduced another piano-based number with a very domestic muse. You see, I just start singing some words with a tune, and it just, you know what I mean? I don't ever write a song thinking, now I'll write a song about, I do sometimes, but mainly I don't. I mean, I just, I'm doing a tune, and then some words come into my head, you know, and uh, these happen to be Martha, my dear, you know, though I spend my days in conversation. It doesn't mean anything, you know. Well, those just happen to come into my head. So that's what this song's about. So it is about my dog. But I don't particularly want her to remember me. But, like, you make up songs, you know. You don't make up songs trying to make a serious... I don't ever try to make any sort of serious song. So, you know, you can read anything you like into it, but but really, uh, you know, it's just a society. It's me singing to my dog. <laughs> Bye. 
take one of Paul's ode to his English sheepdog, recorded late on the 4th of October. Featuring Paul's exquisite piano, Ringo on drums and George on electric guitar, only one documented take was used as the backing track. Onto this, Paul quickly overdubbed his lead vocal and hand claps. The brass and woodwind players utilised for Honey Pie earlier in the evening were again put to good use on this track, with the addition of a string section, again conducted by George Martin. Further vocal overdubs and bass guitar were added the next day, and the track was complete. Another very efficient use of studio time, and another title to add to the new album. A marathon session on the 7th of October 1968, stretching from 2.30 in the afternoon till 7 the next morning, saw George introduce his last song for the album, one that he had begun writing in India between February and April, with a chord sequence borrowed from Bob Dylan's Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lonelands. But its lyrics, handwritten in a diary, were not completed until that August, hence its absence from the Isha demo tape from May 1968. The you referred to in the song is God, although the casual listener could interpret it to be a song of romantic desire. Only three Beatles were present for this session, George on acoustic guitar and vocals, Paul on Hammond organ, and of course Ringo providing some atmospheric drums. Right, here we go. Here we go, lads. We're not really what we make out to be. <laughs> That's all I can say. Where did Mal get those joysticks? The very Rishikesh joysticks. One, two, three. No, no, missed it. One, two, three. It's been a long, long, long time. How could I ever lost you? to me one more time take 44 of what was then called it's been a long 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 time with some words from an unpublished song by george called gathering gesturing thrown in as that take broke down the session tapes reveal that george would have been happy to settle with much earlier takes but paul and ringo soldiered on feeling that the best was yet to come at the end of take 65 a happy accident occurred a bottle of Blue Nun wine, which was sat on top of the Leslie speaker cabinet through which Paul was playing the organ, started to rattle when he hit a certain low note. This caught George's attention, 
So much so that he had the studio engineer Chris Thomas rig up a microphone to capture the sound in subsequent takes. Ringo joined in with the snare roll. And the scraping sound at the end? Well, that's George dragging a microphone across his guitar strings. Take 67 was finally settled upon as the master, to which Paul added his bass the next day, followed by more lead vocals, backing vocals, and Chris Thomas playing a little bit of piano in the bridge. And with that, the song was complete. It's been a An isolation mix of Long Long Long, the track which would bring a mellow change after the chaos of Helter Skelter, and the perfect way to finish side three of the album. With the end of sessions in sight, it was perhaps fitting that the next song brought to the studio, this time by John, was so aptly titled. If you're on holiday or in therapy or wherever you are, if you spend time, like in India, I wrote the last batch of best songs, you know, where I could write a lot like I'm so tired and yeah, blues where they were pretty sort of realistic, you know, they were about me and it always struck me as, uh, fu- not what's the word, funny, ironic or something that I was writing in supposedly in, with the, in the presence of guru and meditating so many hours a day, I was writing I'm so tired and, and uh, you know, songs of such pain. Oh, it's so complicated. Close hunger. 
Uh, what, how was anybody else, you see? Because I was better singing on the previous one. What does that mean? Okay, do it again. It's just that there's all them to choose from then. One, two, three. I'm so Take seven of I'm So Tired. Enjoying playing together live in the studio again, the Beatles started and completed the track in a single session, straight after the finishing touches had been added to Long Long Long. With each of the band on their traditional instruments, 14 takes of the basic track were recorded, each with a live vocal from John. Overdubs on to take 14 included backing vocals, electric piano, and more drums and guitars. Here's the complete take 14. Listen out for the various elements which didn't make it to the final mix. Okay, we'll do it again. Try and leave those spaces, Paul, because it's all that remix, you gotta pull it all out of it. Little piece of mine. 
The incredibly productive session of the 8th of October saw another of John's songs started and completed. While the lyrics to Bungalow Bill sound like another continuing story of one of John's fantasy characters like Lucy in the Sky or Mr Kite, this couldn't be further from the truth. In 1968, I was at Maharishi's ashram when the Beatles were there. Yeah. And, they, and they did write a song about me and the tiger hunt that I had gone on. I was a follower of Maharishi. Maharishi was my guru. I uh, had been meditating from, I don't know, 17 years old. Uh, I had just graduated from college. My father gave me a ticket around the world, Pan Am ticket. But in those days, I was still a hunter. And I grew up hunting where we, even here where we live on Molokai. So my first day in India, my mother was taking the, the meditation uh, teacher's course from Maharishi. She knew that I was coming. I was hoping to see her. And she met me at the airport. And we went with a friend that she had made there on somebody else's tiger hunt. And my friend Avi had six elephants for this hunt. And on this particular day, I remember we were on these elephants, and I was on this elephant with my mother, and the main mahout is uh, the man who controls the, uh, the elephants. And uh, so our, our job was to try to push the tigers to where the hunter was. After lunch, we, they put my mother and I in the blind, and that, at that point they gave me a rifle. And then at the last minute, the tiger came out, and I I, uh, I remember shooting straight down, and I, I shot the tiger. Uh, and the tiger does a somersault and, you know, is actually dead right below us. A few days after that, we went back to Maharishi's ashram. And my mother was so excited to tell this story. We go to see Maharishi after we get back. She has to tell Maharishi. Well, John Lennon was there, and John Lennon, uh, and mind you, you have to remember that I'm about as far from John Lennon as you can imagine. I am straight, short haircut, young Republican. I, I've come a long way since. But anyhow, so we're telling this story to Maharishi, and I remember my mother saying it was it was him or you know him or us, the tiger or us. It was well, that was not true. I mean, the tiger had no idea that we were there, and the tiger was running from the elephant. And and my question to Maharishi at the time, because I was reading the Bhagavad Gita at the time. You know, I said, you know, Maharishi, am I just part of the agent of change? You know, and and I remember Maharishi saying back to me, you know, life destruction is life destruction. You know, like end of story. And, and John Lennon is sitting next to me the whole time, taking all this in. He said, you know, and, and he may had some sort of comment about destruction of life. And, and that was sort of the last we heard of it. But it was Maharishi. I've never seen Maharishi so cold. I mean, he just, you know, I don't think he'd ever talk to anybody who'd ever killed an animal. I mean, it was just so distant from his life. What did Bungalow Bill kill? Hello? 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 What? Can you see? Okay. Yeah, it's okay. Just, just a little bit. Okay. It's all those changes, amazing changes. Take two. One, two, three, four. Hey, Bungalow Bill, what did you kill? Bungalow Bill, hey, Bungalow Bill, what did you kill? Bungalow Bill, he went out tiger hunting with his elephant and gun. In case of accidents, he always took his mom. He's the all-American, bullet-headed, Saxon mother's son. Hey, Bungalow Bill, what did you kill? Bungalow Bill, hey, Bungalow Bill, was it a thrill? Bungalow Bill, deep in the jungle where the mighty tiger lies. Still and his elephants were taken by surprise So Captain Marvel zapped him right between the eyes Hey Bungalow Bill, 
what did you kill? Bungalow Bill. Hey, Bungalow Bill. What did you kill? Bungalow Bill. The children asked him if to kill was not a sin. His mommy butted in It looks good, kill it Would have been us instead of him Hey, Bungalow Bill What did you kill? Bungalow Bill Hey, Bungalow Bill Was it a thrill? Bungalow Bill What do you think? I think you can do better. Yeah. Are you, is Yoko picking up on that bit? Take two of the continuing story of Bungalow Bill. John's title, a parody of comic book heroes mixed with the Saturday morning films that John would enjoy as a child. Again, played live in the studio, complete with guest vocal from Yoko Ono, take three would be deemed best and was treated to overdubs of Paul's bass, more vocals from John, and a group backing vocal by all four Beatles, plus Yoko and Maureen Starkey, as well as numerous bits and bobs. And the flamenco guitar introduction? Was it John? Was it Paul? Was it George? Perhaps an unnamed studio musician? Well, in fact, it was no one. The song's opening notes were provided free of charge by the Beatles' old friend, the Mellotron. Indeed, Ricky Cook, the young man who turned from shooting animals with a gun to shooting them with a camera for National Geographic, was nicknamed Bungalow Bill by the Beatles while staying in the ashram in Rishikesh. But his brush with immortality through his inclusion on a Beatles album came as a complete surprise to him. I think they called me Bungalow Bill because I was American and I was in the bungalow next door. We shared bungalows and Bill was as close to my name as to them to this you know they saw me as bill i you know ricky really is my name but but you know it was months later that my sister hears this this you know the song bungalow bill and she starts putting you know the the tiger hunt and mango anglo-saxon son and it's not totally complimentary but anytime the beatles are using your name in some ways it's a compliment the 9th of october 1968 john's 28th birthday was reserved mainly for mixing a batch of more recent recordings in readiness for assembling the final album. But Paul took advantage of an empty Studio One to lay down another of his impromptu ditties, one which, with a little help from Ringo and a few choice overdubs, would eventually sound similar to the recordings he would make at home for his first solo album. Why don't we do it in the road? Why don't we do it in the road? No one will be watching us. Why don't we do it in the road? What what inspired that one? That was inspired by Lord knows what, probably sexual feelings, Terry. Mm -hmm. A kind of a lewd song for a (laughs) first time. For such a nice guy. That's right. Um, Yeah, you know, but I have my lewd moments, don't we all? Why don't we do it on the road? What, I suppose somebody will say somewhere. Dance, Tony, dance. Why don't we do it in the road? 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 
What do you think of all that? Do you think I could do it better? I think I could do it a bit better, actually. Oh, yeah? Okay, see, I want to just try and do one quiet verse, one loud verse, and then that's it, really. Why don't we do it in the road? Okay, because I won't come and listen to that one. However, I will move this microphone nearer the piano, should I? Well, that's it for this episode. Next time, the Beatles wrap up sessions for the White Album and take some time to work on their own projects for a while. Until next time, 